Chronic illness can be an all-consuming experience. I have suffered with chronic illness for over 20 years, and there is no doubt managing a chronic condition can be a full-time job with no perks or time off. It affects every facet of your life, but you are not alone. Join me as we hear real stories of people living with pain and illness, their challenges, their victories, and the treatments and coping strategies they use to get through the day. I am not my pain, and neither are you. Welcome back to the I Am Not My Pain podcast. Imagine having a disease nicknamed the suicide disease, which has been said to cause the most excruciating pain known to humanity. The pain can feel like a severe electric shock to your face. Today we are shining a light on this very painful and rare disease called trigeminal neuralgia. Trigeminal neuralgia is a long-term chronic pain condition affecting the trigeminal nerve in the face. The trigeminal nerve carries sensation from the face to the brain and is responsible for face and motor sensations and functions such as biting and chewing. Did you know the cranial nerves account for 80% of the sensory input to your brain? 80%. And your trigeminal nerve accounts for 70% of your cranial nerve input. Imagine having a malfunction with your trigeminal nerve and the pain it could inflict by just a simple touch to the face. To share more about trigeminal neuralgia and her experience with the disease is my guest and chronic illness warrior for today, Laura Launderville. Laura first developed symptoms of trigeminal neuralgia at 17, but like for most rare conditions, her diagnosis came much later at age 26. In 2020, Laura also began having new symptoms, which was diagnosed in 2022 as occipital neuralgia, another rare neurological condition causing shooting, shocking, throbbing, burning, or aching pain and headache, usually starting at the base of the head and going along the scalp on both or one side. Along her journey, she has also been diagnosed with chronic migraine disease, a rare autoimmune condition called Lichen planipolaris, and IBS-M. Laura says having rare diseases is hard, but finding others who understand helps. Laura now works to support other rare disease sufferers and raise awareness on trigeminal neuralgia and occipital neuralgia by sharing her story and experience. She volunteers for the leading nonprofit that brings awareness to rare facial pain diseases called the Facial Pain Association, the FPA, as well as the Vashti Initiative, a nonprofit for those who have experienced the trauma of religious and spiritual abuse. She also serves as a board member for the FPA's Young Patient Committee, called YPC, whose primary focus is on rare pediatric facial pain conditions in young patients and adults under the age of 40. Laura additionally writes for various platforms such as The Mighty and shares her experience through her blog called The Medical Zebra. I will include all the links in the episode description, including Laura's Instagram handle for her blog, which is at the Medical Zebra blog. Laura, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. All right. Before we dive into trigeminal neuralgia itself, which I'm excited about, could you share more of your story, including your journey to both of your diagnoses 
and the symptoms you currently manage? Sure. So my symptoms showed up after having dental work. I was 17 and just randomly this pain that was very strange showed up and I went to the dentist. They were very confused and they thought, well, it's probably just impaction of the teeth. So they pulled a a molar and thought that that would take care of it. Even while I was trying to heal from that extraction, the pain was still there and it was even worse than the pain of healing. So I went back and let them know, hey, something's not right. This is really hurting still. And again, they were confused, but they're like, well, let's go ahead and pull another tooth, um, even though there was nothing wrong with it. After that, of course, the pain was still there. They wanted to do some other surgeries and things like that, but I was too stubborn and I knew that that this was not going to take care of the situation. So I just stopped with the dentist. Uh, it would take some time. I would talk to other doctors and whatnot, but no one really knew what was going on. Um, They're very dismissive or would just say, go back to the dentist. And I'm like, well, they already said they couldn't help me, but you know, that if it's in your mouth, they think it's a dentist issue. It would take a while before I got my diagnosis of trigeminal neuralgia. Like I said, nobody knew what it was. It was very rare. A lot of doctors don't know what it is either. It actually was through the process of my twin sister getting a library book. And it was about the brain. And she found this diagram that talked about the brain and the nerves. And she got really excited, brought it over. She's like, Laura, I think I know where your pain is. And she pointed to it. And it was a trigeminal nerve. And from there forward, I started Googling and trying to find information. And then I came across the term trigeminal neuralgia. And it was very scary. Obviously, they call it the suicide disease. And they say it's progressive for many. And there is no cure. But I really wanted to get my correct diagnosis and really know what this pain was. Because, I mean, this had impacted my life for so long. And it was just continuously getting worse. So I went online and found support groups on Facebook for trigeminal neuralgia. And it was reading those people's stories that I realized, oh my gosh, this is what I do have. Number one, they made me made me feel not so alone with this um, strange pain. And then I was able to find out how to get to the right doctors. I found out that I need to go to a neurologist and all these things and certain medications that may help and surgeries and whatnot. So it was through that, and I was able to get to a neurologist. The problem was is that I was about to lose my medical insurance. And so it was a rush to get to the doctor, really a, a big rush to get to the doctor. So my father pulled some strings, and I got him to see his neurologist on the pretense of migraine. And I remember because I was sitting on the exam table, and I was you know, explaining my symptoms to the neurologist, and his mouth dropped open. He was very shocked and he pointed over to my father and he says, this is a condition your, your father would get at his age and not someone at 17. And he truly didn't think I had it because he thought, well, you're too young. Um, but he sent me into an MRI um, like two days before Christmas and, you know, they were saying I might have MS or a brain tumor. So I was kind of trying to prepare for all those things as well. A few days after the new year in January, I was able to get you know, my official diagnosis and they called, says it wasn't MS, it wasn't a brain tumor, but it was trigeminal neuralgia. And it was a relief. And I know like for many hearing that they have trigeminal neuralgia would be terrible. 
and I understand that. But for me, I had gone so long without a diagnosis, it was a relief to finally know what, what this was. Um, I mean, it was chronic. It had impacted my life to where it, it was stealing. It was stealing my life. So I was able to get my diagnosis, and from there I was able to try to get some treatment. It would take some time because <laughs> COVID hit and it shut down everything. So I went with another two years without medication almost. Yeah, I remember calling um, the neurologist that I was going to be seeing the new one. And the receptionist says, it's a year wait. And I'm like, I, I just broke down on the phone with her. I'm like, I, I can't wait this long. I have trigeminal neuralgia. I have no medication. And I, I literally begged her. And she was able to get me in within two months. And then from there, I found a team that actually knew what TM was, but they also knew how to treat it. And I, you know, it was try on error, but I was able to find some medication that, that finally worked. And it actually put me into almost a two-year remission. I've had a few flare-ups with TN, but they've been very minimal compared to the, the pain level that I had before. I mean, that was just horrendous pain. My ON, I realized I had ON in 2020, but it, it calmed down. You know, when I, I talked to my neurologist about it, and they're like, well, if it's not a big issue, let's just focus on the TN. And I, I felt dismissed, but I'm like, well, you know, I think I know what I have. You know, deep down, a lot of times we do know our condition. You know, we know our diagnosis sometimes, yeah. even before the doctors do. And then 2022, it flared up really bad. And, you know, I went into the doctors and I was talking to them about it. And I'm like, I'm getting shocks at the back of my head. I'm burning. I am feel like it's in a vice grip and I am hurting really bad. It took some time, but they says, I think you got a win. Yeah. And I, I was talking to my neurologist and I was like, is this common to get another neurologist? She says, unfortunately, for some people who already have a neurologist, they're prone to get another one. So I end up getting that one. <laughs> and that one actually is bilateral. So I have a uh, simple neuralgia bilateral. Um, I have suspected a typical trigeminal neuralgia on my left side as well with my face. So that doesn't flare up at near as much as my, my right side, which is classic TN. That's crazy. I feel like every time I talk to somebody with rare conditions, it first of all, it takes forever to be diagnosed and they typically know what they have before they see the doctor and they don't want to like, you know, they don't tell that to the doctor, but they're like, I know exactly what I'm here for today to know the pain level because even doctors I saw for my headaches, I remember they were looking into trigeminal neuralgia for me at one point, but they were like, your pain, you would be in the hospital. Like, it's so horrific. Like usually like it, you know, that it would spark and it just, and I was like, oh, that sounds awful. So when I knew you had it, I was like, I don't know how she does this. This is, it's so, it, it, it is one of the most painfully recognized diseases. The doctors actually recognize that it's that painful, which that takes a lot right there that a doctor actually recognizes how yeah. painful something can be. So that just tells you how bad it is. So what, you know, what are the causes of something like trigeminal neuralgia? Well, for it could be different reasons. Some people, it is a an injury caused to the trigeminal nerve. It can be a tumor. It can be a secondary condition caused by MS. 
or it can be like me, the classic type of TM. So TM type one, where we have a blood vessel pressing on the trigeminal nerve. Yeah, that's the main reasons that I know of. There could be others, you know, later that they, you know, explore. Um, and then some people also don't know why they have the pain. Like the doctors, they just don't know why, but they have the symptoms, so they, they diagnose them with it. When you wonder, too, the or is it the dental had anything to do with the kickstart of it? Yeah, yeah, I asked my um, neurologist about it, and they says that, um, you know, it, it could have been coincidence or it could have woke it up. They, they don't really know, but they says that I definitely had it before. It might have, in a way, might have damaged yours anyway, but that's, that's fascinating. How is it usually diagnosed? The um, MRI? Yeah. So for me, it was the MRI. Other people, it's just symptoms. But yeah, mine was an MRI and it was pretty clear on the classic MRI, though it was my radiologist that read the scans that fought for me to get my diagnosis. My neurologist at the time was not going to give it to me. He's like, you're too young. This isn't what's going on. But he told me later that they had an argument and the radiologist says, you will diagnose this, this patient with trigeminalgia because this is what it is. Wow. That says a lot. That's incredible. Yeah. That's amazing that he, that the person fought to get you diagnosed properly. So that doesn't happen every day. That's for sure. So what are the treatments? I mean, you kind of mentioned that you have some treatments that are helping you. What, what do you do for treatments for trigeminal? Cause I did read that like, you know, opiates and like control, they don't affect it. Um, so you can't take, not that you'd want to take those, but I'm just saying, you know, they're not effective for something like this. Yeah. So, um, for me, they weren't effective. I tried, uh, Vicodin. My dentist gave me that and it didn't touch any of the pain. Like it didn't curve any of it. It was useless for me, but some people, they, they can still use opioids and they can help a little bit. It really depends on the patient, but more often than not, it seems that they don't help. There's quite a few treatments to help, but they're not guaranteed they're going to work. And it's, it's truly patient to patient, you know, whether or not it's going to be successful. The main um, treatments you hear are anticonvulsants. Um, so epileptic medications, that's what I'm using. Um, and they've worked well for me. Well, one of them's worked well for me. I had a one that worked for two weeks, got excited. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in a remission, came back then two, after two weeks. And that was very hard to deal with emotionally as well as physically. I tried another one, uh, Tegretrol, and I was allergic to that one. And that was a experience of its own. <laughs> that was an experience of my own. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm currently on Triliptol, and that one has been the most successful for me. You know, it's been an up and down kind of type of thing, finding what medication works, like the level of it. So adjustments, but I'm, I'm extremely thankful for it. Other medications like um, mus muscle relaxants that help. Some people use Botox, nerve blocks. And then you hear often about MVD surgery. So microvascular decompression surgery, which is a brain surgery. And they go in and they, uh, put a Teflon pad or sponge where they lift up the um, 
in the blood vessel, I believe, and they slip in the sponge and they take it and put that between the nerves so it's not on the nerve anymore. So that's the most common one you would hear about. But, you know, it's like a, a thing where we don't know how it's going to be successful successful for each person. Um, it can work great for one person and they can go in remission and they may never have their pain come back. And for others, it may be unsuccessful right after they come out of brain surgery or, you know, months or years down the road. And some people have a redo surgery or they, you know, they don't do that or they try a different uh, form of treatment. I think the other one is, uh, I think I pronounced this right, but gamma knife. It's pretty much like radiation, you know, pointed radiation and where it needs to go. But, um, and then you got the, the fact that some people are not a candidate for these surgeries. They're not cures. And then, you know, some people can't even manage the medications or they don't work. So, you know, that, that's something that, that for me personally weighs on me. For me, I am a, a candidate for the NVD surgery. I haven't done that route because my medication's been working. So I've kind of like, you know, I'm going to leave that as an option for later down the road because I don't know, like, when is my medication going to stop working? Like, because that's an option. I mean, our bodies can become used of the medications and then they're not effective anymore. You know, I don't know what that will look like in the future. I kind of do honestly take a little bit of comfort in the fact that I've lived so long without any treatment. So I feel like as hard as it would be, I know that I can get through it because I've done it before. So, I mean, I don't want to do it that way. Right. <laughs> I don't want to do it that way. Thank you very much. Um, but uh, I get what you're saying completely. And out of curiosity, this is just a random question, but are there triggers for this or does it just set off like randomly? Yes, there can be triggers um, that cause episodes. Um, I call them attacks. Other people call them just episodes. My term has been attacks for a long time, but I'm referring to an episode. So some people just have pain randomly. I have that as well, um, but I have it from the most common one is wind, talking, touching my face, even just the AC running lightly can hit it and then boom, I'm in an attack, a fan, putting on makeup, brushing my teeth, eating, drinking. Um, the thing too is, is that because I have it in all three branches of my face, so here, here, and here, any point that that can get touched or triggered, I have an episode. For instance, if I'm drinking from a cup, sometimes it's not just the fact of swallowing, they can trigger it because of the way our mouths move to swallow. But just the cup touching my lip or the water touching my lip triggers an attack. No, that's crazy. Yeah. So I also can have a trigger from putting on chapstick or putting pulling my hair back into a ponytail, brushing my hair, washing my face, showering, sometimes steam. For me, I remember learning that steam was a problem was when I was cooking and you're like, you know, the steam coming off the pan, it hit me and I had an attack or the steam coming out of the oven when you open the door. So it was like every little bit of, of life is impacted. The craziest one for me was when I realized that vibration can kick it in an attack. 
this is hard for me to explain, but I, I, this really happens to me sometimes, is that I'll be walking, right? And the impact of my heel of my foot hitting the, the ground or floor will send up vibration, right? We don't think about these things unless no, yeah. we just walk, right? But the vibration that travels up the body naturally would trigger an episode. So how long did the episodes last? When you read about it, <laughs> and doctors believe, a lot of them believe this, is that it's a few seconds to two minutes. That can be accurate. But I've had them last for hours, and I've oh, had wow. them last for days. So, and they, they will also say you can't get them in your sleep. I can uh, confirm you can get attacks in your sleep. <laughs> and on top of that, you, you don't know how many episodes you'll get in a day. I've had up to hundreds. Wow. And I, I mean, I just want to reiterate how painful it's not, it's not, it's like one of the worst pains you can have. I can only imagine. So to have that for days, Ooh, I don't think I could make it that, you know, and I have bad pain, but that, that sounds horrific to me. Like, Oh, especially in your face and your head. Like that's the hardest part, you know, sometimes because you can't, your brain can't focus on other things because you're like, my, this hurts. Like it's too close to your brain. <laughs> your brain's like, what? No, I can't. This is, you know, we're on high alert. That's crazy. But, you know, you mentioned a little bit how, I mean, obviously, you know, that trigeminal neuralgia affects your life, your daily life. I mean, hello, you, you know, cooking and walking and, you know, just that kind of thing. But what other things would you say, you know, how does it impact your daily life, especially when it was bad? Pretty common with chronic pain in general, but sleeping could be very hard if you can sleep at all. You know, just talking, like trying to make a phone call. Like for me, that that's can be very difficult. Like when I'm in a flare, like I can't talk most of the time. I know it doesn't make sense, but for me, I can sometimes get accustomed to the pain and I can work through the attacks. The other no, time, it, it makes complete sense. You're not wrong. You get used to things, ironically. Yeah. I remember um, one episode, well, quite a few, where I was so bad of a flare, so bad of a flare. I couldn't eat breakfast. I couldn't drink, which is really, really dangerous because, you, you know, you have to have, you know, food and you have to be able to get your liquids in, especially if you're on medication. I mean, just taking my medication triggered an episode. So, but I remember it was so bad. I was just sitting. I could just sit in my chair, the recliner all day. And I couldn't deal with anybody coming into the room because of the vibration. And God forbid they touched the chair because of, it would set off an attack. It impacts daily life with just normal things that before I wouldn't even think about. That's the kind of stuff that it, it affects like, like getting a hug from a loved one that hurts sometimes. Or like, I remember being able to um, hold one of my nieces when they were born. And this is before I had my diagnosis. And I didn't realize that inside the, the room in the hospital, they had a vent up above and it blew down air on me. Right. And then I was in so much pain. Like I had to pass the baby back because I almost fell to the floor. And I don't know if I can put into words how chronic it is and how life-changing it is. Like it put my life on so much hold for so long. 
I feel often that it delayed me. Until I got my medication, I really, I really wasn't able to, to function. You know, I, I tried. I tried my best to live in the moment, you know, and try to find joy in things. But it was really hard. It was very hard. And then on top of that, just not being able to explain to people what the heck was going on. It was just, it was really hard to say, I have trigeminuralgia. And people are like, what's that? And I'm like, it's, it's facial pain. And then people don't even know what facial pain is. And then it's like constantly trying to explain this. And it's like, I just, I, I don't want to explain anymore. <laughs> it's overwhelming. Yeah. It can be for sure. Yeah, it can be. I, even with mine, you know, just explaining it so many times it got so old and so hard. And I was just like, I don't even care what you think anymore. Like, I'm just too tired to share. And, mm -hmm. you know, even if I did share and explained everything, you know, people who don't have chronic conditions or chronic pain, or they never got it. And they would just be like, I, I don't understand why you can't just do this. Like, why can't you just, you know, go back to school or why can't you do that? And I'm like, I literally can't. I am just trying to make it through each day stay alive you know because you get so depressed and it's awful so yeah and I can only imagine to have that kind of experience and then not know what it is and you know people are just like I don't get it you know <laughs> like I don't get any of this and that makes it extremely hard and I mean that impacts our relationships with people like I had close friends that just could not handle the drastic shift in my life, you know, all of a sudden I was well, and then I was sick. And mm -hmm. they were like, what do you what? What do I do? And even a lot of family members like extended family for me. So how did it impact your relationships with people? Sally, this is all the time we have for today. Please stay tuned in next week as I continue my conversation with Laura as she will dive into how trigeminal neuralgia affects her relationships, more about occipital neuralgia, how she copes with both very painful diseases, and so much more. To learn more about Laura Laundreville or her blog, you can go to her Instagram handle at the Medical Zebra blog. I will also include a link to her blog in the episode description, as well as a wonderful and informative piece by Laura on trigeminal neuralgia, which was featured on The Mighty. Thanks again to Laura and to all my listeners for tuning in. And remember, you are not alone, and you are not your pain. Like the show? Please subscribe and leave a review. Or to learn more about the show or how to become a guest, simply visit our website at www.iamnotmypainpodcast.org. That is I am not my pain org. Your story matters. We look forward to hearing from you. Hi, this is Keith. I am a martial arts therapist at the Hero Circle, a global healing and wellness initiative inspired by the children of kids kicking cancer. Would you like to discover the power of your breath? while fueling the purpose of thousands of sick children across the globe? Simply check out our free adult meditation catalog at herocircle.org forward slash meditations.
To learn more about our program and our inspirational little heroes, visit our website at herocircle.org. From all of us at the Hero Circle, we wish you a wonderful day. Power, peace, purpose.